Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Sutter, joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at Sutter. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Also, make sure to follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support's greatly appreciated. I know today we have a mailbag, Brendan, and we have a, lots of questions to get to, so everyone appreciate it. I know we posted that yesterday on Twitter. We got almost, I think, over 10 questions in so far, so that was a really awesome response. So, Brendan, I guess we should get right into it. What's the first question? Yeah, I actually wanted to bring up, I've been meaning to ask this on the pod, at us on Twitter and let us know if you guys, if there's any other social media you guys use that you think we should uh, get onto, Facebook, Instagram, I don't know. I'll, there's a, you know, it's easy enough to put our shows on anything that you guys are using. So let us know on Twitter if you, uh, or in the comments section on Brightside down below, if there's anything else that might be better. We try to avoid Reddit because it can just get kind of toxic, but I've been meaning to ask on the show. Just let us know if like Facebook or something works better for you guys. Yeah, but, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just because, you know, I don't want to assume everybody has a Twitter. I know that's like what we use the most for the most part, but um, let us know. Uh, all right. First question. Ooh, this is a good one. Okay. From DN and it's at DN Wolf 10. What do you think will be the most effective lineup this season? Assuming there is no trade for a P, a point guard. Okay. Um, I really think, to be honest, I don't know about you, but I think the closing lineup is, and if, if you don't know what the closing lineup is, I assume this is what's going to be most of the time in the regular season. I think Booker at point guard with um, Bridges, Jackson on the wing, and then Ariza at the four and eight at the five. I think that's the perfect amount of defensive versatility, spacing, and shooting, and I think Booker can easily handle that playmaking role. Yeah, I think that's pretty much my my best bet too i think it's just the five best players maybe outside of ryan anderson i was trying to quickly think through like what type of lineup i guess to me i would say one other contender knowing that anderson's probably just going to be such a help to the offense is i would say maybe something still with booker at point guard but maybe you you swap jackson out for anderson so you go Booker, Bridges, Ariza, Anderson, Ayton, like a jumbo lineup there. And then um, I just think the the shooting that Anderson gives, I think is going to constantly be almost undervalued just because I, I know he'll hurt the defense and he'll be kind of blocking minutes for somebody like, you know, Dragon Bender, Rashawn Holmes, TJ Warren. But I think he's just going to be such a boon for the offense. I was actually watching a little bit of um, some Ryan Anderson highlights earlier today, just all his three-pointers over the past year or two. And a lot of those threes are from deep behind the line. Like he usually oh, yeah. he's like three or the five feet behind the three-point line. Yeah, he's going to be fun. I mean, I, I know that I've even said that I, I don't necessarily expect him to be like a 30-minute-a-night guy all the way through the season. I think he'll see his playing time wane as the season goes along, hopefully if the young guys develop behind him. But I think he'll, especially early on, you wrote a little bit about how much of an impact he could have for Aiton spacing the floor and how both – how excited both of those guys already are. And I think they're completely right to be so excited. I think it's going to be really helpful for both of them. All right. Like we mentioned before we came on the air, me and Brenner are both going to bounce back some questions off the list that you guys put in on Twitter. So I appreciate it. I'm up next. I'm going to throw out the question from secret wars and beyond podcast at Sean 42 AZ. And he asks, what specific improvements can drug and Bender make this year to prove he belongs on the Suns and in the NBA in general? What's hilarious is like, it's not even a secret, right? Like you ask Kakushkov, you ask Bender himself. Everyone knows the answer. McDonough, 
he needs to play like a big, right? He needs to play like somebody who's 7-1. He needs to rebound. He needs to get to the free throw line. Uh, and he needs to defend his position. I think he took really big strides as a shooter last year. But it's kind of crazy even just to put it in perspective. The way that the thing that is still so crazy to me hearing those guys talk about him, hearing Metter talk about himself, is it's almost unanimously assumed that he's going to be a power forward still. And that, to me, is not his ultimate value. Like, he already is handicapping himself as far as what he's able to provide to a team if he's playing the four. But he's so incapable of doing those typical big man things that he has to play that position to even stay on the floor at this point. That that shows a lot to me. And I think if if he can overcome that and be a guy who can stick around at the four, then you can start talking about him even considering playing the five in any real capacity. Quick question on Dragon for example. I really pretty much agree with your answer, but as far as the minutes go in the rotation this year, unless a move is made, which at this point you can't assume unless something drastic happens in the next few days. But I feel like at this point in time, me and Kellen also touched on, on Monday's or Tuesday's episode in Flagstaff. Just um I really believe that Dragon Bender is the guy right now, maybe outside of because we've seen so much TJ Warren at the four already at camp, which I think is gonna be his bigger position than the three already, because I think Bridges will get a lot of time at the three as well with Jackson. Do you think that Dragon Bender is in a position unless he breaks out that he's going to be a guy who gets less than 15 or so minutes per game? Because at this point, if TJ is playing a lot of four, which I expect him to, I think he might be the odd man out, at least for the time being. Yeah, I think if you had asked me like two weeks ago, I probably would have disagreed with you. But um, like you said, the way they've been playing and what Kakushka have kind of surprised all of us with on Monday and just kind of talking through how he saw the rotation and what he expected from different guys is it seems like TJ is going to be playing the four more. And it seems like Anderson is going to be a pretty huge part of what they try to do. And a pretty important thing about how they're going to structure the offense, you know, physically in space, him, his spacing, like you mentioned, bombing from super, super deep is something they've already talked about consistently. So, and, and what I just said about Bender, which is, all of him, Kakashkov and McDonough, all agreed that he's a four at this point, at least this year going into the, the season. That's the expectation. I would have thought that he would be more of the backup five here and there, and that would give him a little bit of a better avenue to consistent minutes, but it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Yeah, at this point, it's going to be really interesting just to see his minutes, but also the team option. I think they have till the end of the month. He makes 5.9 yeah, million. Option. Yeah, do you think at this point do you think they pick it up or do you think that maybe – they could get back a guy like Dragon Bender who has probably not much value at all around the league there. They can get him back on an extension at a cheaper amount of money per year. I think that they pick it up. That just scares me uh, to try to do something like that. You still risk a guy going into unrestricted free agency. What if, what if you do that? And then he has a great year. Um, I, you know, we saw it happen with Kevon Looney last year where he, he's now going to be on the Warriors again after they declined his option. And, for forwent the opportunity to have him an unrestricted free agency and be able to match any deal and all the, the benefits that come with that. And then they still got him and he's just on a minimum. That is, seems like the exception rather than the rule. I think if you do something like that, you, there's a real risk you lose somebody. And, and if he does grow into the player, we all have been saying for years that he could be, I think you'd be in a really bad spot to not have any means of getting him back. But he is expensive, and they do have hopes of of getting a guy next year. So it is a it is a question that it might be maybe needs more consideration than I'm giving it. But if I'm there, it's not really 
it's a no-brainer for me. Hey, Suns fans. It's getting to that time of year in Phoenix where people are finally leaving their houses, right? Sporting events are going on. We're going to have all three major sports soon at the tail end of October. There's no time better to get out and see the shows that you want to see. With Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, show, or sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you could ever imagine going to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more to save even more money. So all you have to do, it's super easy, is go to the App Store, Google Play Store, wherever you get apps, and download the Vivid Seats app. You're going to use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts, games, theater, anything you could possibly imagine, Vivid Seats is going to have it. Download the app, enter promo code LOCKEDON, the name of this show, for $20 off orders of $200 or more. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime, and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. All right, let's go with uh, would you trade along the same lines of what we're talking about. Bender, Daniels, and Warren for Tyus Jones and and Gorgie Jang. Uh, He says it works on the trade machine. I'll take his word for it. I guess to me, we talked about a lot of structures for deals, but one thing we didn't necessarily hit on that this question is kind of getting at is, would you be fine with the Suns taking back Gorky Jang if they if it meant that they got Tyus Jones? Would you be fine with them being the team to do that? No, 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 no. I wouldn't because I think look how the deal is structured there. Bender, Daniels, TJ for Tyus and Deang. I think you're giving up too much from the Suns' point of view there for a guy like Tyus Jones. I think you can get him without getting up TJ or Bender, one of those two guys. And I really don't think Gorgie Jang is a guy that moves the needle at all. They got Rashawn Holmes. They had Tyson Chandler for this year. And he's expensive. He's very expensive. He makes $17 million in 2020, and that's just going to yeah. kill your cap space. And I can't see the Suns doing that. They've, they've been playing so smart so far, maybe too, too passive as far as deals go, but they're playing it smart as far as conserving the space. Yeah, that, that adds 2020 money, 2019, 2020 dollars, because Jang makes more than, than TJ will that year. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any way where, I, even though I like Tyus Jones so much, tying up your space when there's other options where you wouldn't have to do that, to me, that makes no sense. I think, I think we're on the same page. All right, next question is from Scott Martin at SmartPlace13. He says, how much has the talk of DeAndre Aiden being an impact player on defense changed your opinion of him as the first pick, if at all? In other words, are you buying what they're selling? You've been there, so maybe you, you're the better answer here. To me, I'm never somebody who's going to just buy into like how many months are we removed? Two and a half from them spending the number one, three and a half from them spending the number one pick on him. You know, the players actually, that is one thing that does get me a little bit excited to hear Devin Booker. Even Ryan Anderson has made, you know, what he said has been pretty exciting to me just because we were talking on, on media day or at media day, like, He's played with Dwight Howard. He's played with Clint Capella, Anthony Davis. He's played with quietly a lot of raw athletic young bigs that kind of 
developed into all-star caliber players with Anderson on the team. And that's an interesting perspective, but like Kokushkov, McDonough, no, that doesn't really sway me because how? What else are they supposed to say? They they just spent the pick on him, and he's an exciting player. Yeah, I think as far as development goes, I was up there at camp for a few days, and I think DeAndre is buying in because I saw like him really doing well communicating. If he can bring that to the floor, that's a first really good positive step. I think it's gonna take a little longer than people hope. Even though Igor's hyping him up right now, I do believe that he's gonna be better than I thought. I'll admit that. I thought he's gonna be like a train wreck on defense early, but Igor at least helps him out and puts him in the right position. I think he's going to be a lot better than I thought he would be. So I'll admit that. And I think he could be a little bit better than I thought he could be coming into this year. But obviously we haven't even played a single game yet, not even a single preseason game yet. So it's hard for me to judge. But I think that at least from a guy like Igor, talking to a guy like Igor standing next to him, I'm he's a very smart guy. So I'm really going to buy a lot of whatever he tells me. Yeah, that is true. And I think I, it was, I, I wasn't thinking about that side of things too. Um, the fact that there isn't such an that there is such an emphasis being placed on defense, I think, not like it's unexpected. I, I think if you're going to develop a big man, especially one who had so many holes defensively, that is the place you have to start. But um, it's not a given that that's going to happen. So to hear that and to hear Aiton kind of really echoing much, most of what Kokushkov said about how he sees Aiton playing was that was pretty exciting. Um, but I guess let's keep the ball rolling with you, kind of giving your dispatch from training camp uh steven holler at steve holler asks do any of the young guys look noticeably better than they did during summer league and i mean oh, let's go non ayton category because we just talked about ayton um i really think honestly i don't know if it was on purpose or not but i think i missed the day when tj warren was available to shoot when the media was there i wasn't there for the first two days and i think TJ was shooting one of those days, so I haven't been able to see his new form. So I might have been able to go TJ Warren there. But as far as summer league guys, I'll keep it at that. I think Shaq Harris has looked a little better than I thought he would. I think the play, the playmaking looks good, at least in the Igor offense. He's passing around really well side to side. I think the defense is translating like it, like it did in summer league. So also Shaq Harrison told me on media on Monday that that he believes that his shot's going to quote-unquote shock a lot of people this year. So if that's the case and Shaq has a jumper, then – he's definitely going to be the starting point guard. So I'll, I'll say Shaq for that one. Yeah. Do you think there was any, it seems to me like it was pretty beneficial. Harrison looked pretty bad at summer league, but it seems now like in retrospect, kind of seeing how the off season materialized where Knight was still a little ways away from being healthy. They eventually dealt him. They've been on the phones with, with, you know, half a dozen to a dozen teams trying to find, another option to supplement their rotation. It seems like putting Harrison kind of right into the flames like that was really helpful in summer league. And I think that now that we know he's such a big part of their plans, I think I kind of look back on that a little bit differently where I don't necessarily think like, Oh, what a devastating trashy performance by Harrison, not being able to get an entry pass. I'm kind of like, wow, no, they really actually want him to develop those skills and they were comfortable with him making those mistakes. From a front office point of view, Bernie, I might as well ask you this because we asked Ryan McDonough this on Monday, but do you think there is some sort of Shaq Harrison qualities or excuse me, some Patrick Beverly qualities in Shaq Harrison? Because if you look at their comparison stat, the stats in rookie year, they're eerily, eerily similar to the point where just a few decimal points off for each one in steal percentage as far as shooting percentage. I know Beverly had a jumper already, Harrison didn't, but do you think from a front office perspective that 
they could see Harrison being a guy that if he does get some Igor shot, Dr. Magic from him, he could be like a, a Beverly 2.0, so to say. I mean, I think the the skill set's there defensively. And if um, Shaq continues to grow as a, as a defensive player, like physically, you know, grow into his body and, and take advantage of that physical skill set or, you know, just what he can do, I think that's going to be, you know, completely what determines his ceiling. And I think when you see somebody that plays with that much energy and has that huge frame, you're, what else do you really need as far as like buying into what he could eventually be? And I think people forget like Beverly was a guy who was kind of moving around the league and, and not catching on for a little bit. And then he was a 42nd overall pick and didn't in 2009, didn't even uh, play in an NBA game until 2012. So it's not that different of a story, right? Oh yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. I think it's really, it really depends on the development of Harrison. I think that if Igor can work his magic with him, I think he could be a guy that sticks around a while, but I really think it's kind of a big year for Harrison because he's kind of the afterthought after this year because they do have Melton, they do have a Kobo. So if Harrison can somehow prove them wrong and have a jumper, then he could actually stay around longer than those two guys. In my opinion, it all goes well for him. But yeah. next question is from Jeremiah at JR Wild 78. And he asks Tyson Chandler, starter question mark. Everything the sun said at the end of last year was that the young players were going to have to earn it this year. Chandler has started every game. He's played as son thoughts. I'll start here. <laughs> I'll start here first, I guess, and say that yeah. there's no way that Tyson Chandler no. started with DeAndre. Aiden. No. I think it's pretty simple. Yeah, I mean, you have to earn it, but uh, being a monster in the Pac-12 and being the number one overall pick, I think that it, that is the earning. That's that uh, that's already been done. You know, I think if Aiden comes out and fouls out in the first 15 minutes against the Mavericks, and you know, sulks around the locker room. And, you know, I'm imagining, I don't expect those things to happen, but I'm saying is if he goes back a little bit in terms of his reputation and his place in that locker room, okay, then maybe, uh, and then he has to re-earn it, but he's done plenty. I think already just in the basketball, he's already played outside the NBA to earn it over Tyson Chandler, who, um, you know, obviously is nearing the end of his career and isn't so much of an on the court plus for the Suns at this point. No, yeah, I think he's more of a guy that I think is going to – I know you said at media day he wants to play more, but I think he's going to be a guy, if he does want to play more, that builds his value up at the deadline, gets shipped off, or he gets bought out and goes to a contender because I personally don't see how Tyson plays more than 15 minutes per game this year because they still want to get Rashawn Holmes minutes too. I mean, they trade for him. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, maybe all Chandler means is that he's not going to take the back-to-backs off and things like that, and he'll be more of a, a nightly – rotation issue i kind of see his minutes this year going a little bit like jared dudley's did last year where he'll go a few games where we don't see him at all and then if the team needs it based on the matchups or or health then maybe he plays 15 20 minutes that night and then we don't see him for a little while but you know maybe he'll just be a guy who's active every night whereas last year sometimes he wasn't even an option because he was you know traveling and on a different schedule a little bit than the rest of the team a little bit related to tyson but it's about his contract here with the suns Obviously, Darrell Arthur has an expiring contract, but I think he's going to get bought out. No one really wants his contract. But you have Tyson Chandler's $13.5 million expiring deal. Really, their last trade ship, so to say, as far as if a team wants flexibility to get off some salary, he's the guy that's going to have to go because no one's going to want the TJ Warren salary unless they really value him long term. So 
Do you think that if the Suns are looking to make a trade this year, that Tyson is going to be that linchpiece in a deal? Because after 2019-2019 season, there really is no guys going to be on expiring deals anymore. Yeah, well, I would clarify that it's not. It can't really be a deal to make another team's life easier from a financial standpoint because the only real way that that tends to work is a team like the Suns trading an expiring deal for a non-expiring deal. And we just went over at the beginning that even somebody like Tyus Jones wouldn't be worth it to us to add on long-term salary. So unless it's a massive, massive deal where the Suns are getting like a superstar level player back, obviously then you you start to be a, a little bit more okay. Like, okay, we can take a Gorgie Jang type of talent. Like that's fine if you're getting if you the Suns were to get Jimmy Butler as an example of a player who, you know, would would get it done in my mind. But Chandler makes sense in a lot of deals because he does make so much money. But I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be as much of a favor, which is part of why it's been so frustrating. The Suns have never done that type of deal up until this point when their cap space wasn't so valuable. Last summer, they barely spent any money. Um, well, I guess, you know, they, they went and got Trevor Ariza. They didn't have to do that. But, you know, they didn't spend any long-term money. They easily could have done a deal like that in the past using somebody like Chandler or whoever to add even more deal, like, you know, a Joakim Noah for Tyson Chandler trade where you take on a couple more years of salary, but you get an asset in return. They never did something like that. And now it's kind of too late. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's going to be really interesting to follow with Chandler this year, because like I said, he is that big expiring chip, but it could go a lot of different ways. But I'm looking over the question list here, Brian. It looks like we have some repeats. So it looks like we only have one question here. So I'll just throw it your way. We have left. And it's from SLO Bub at Bub SLO. And he asks, he's asked about how Josh Jackson looks so far as a playmaker defender in the new system. But since you haven't really seen it, I haven't only seen maybe 15, 20 minutes of Igor's system so far in practices. I'm just going to change the question a little bit and say, what are your expectations for Josh Jackson as a playmaker and defender in the Igor system? It's super exciting to me. I think he's one of the guys that it's almost tough to judge what he says because of how confident he is. I don't know if you feel the same way, but when he goes up on the podium, like you're never going to hear him. Not that he's like overconfident and he doesn't have any doubts about himself, but he's never going to go up there and say like, you know, I'm unsure of, of what I can become. He's going to tell you what he's good at. He's going to tell you what he's working on. He's going to tell you that it's going to all work out. Right. So it's tough to hear it from him and necessarily know, but I think I mean, we talked about it before. I think we talked about it on like the Kellen episode or something the, a while back. Um, I, I kind of have been envisioning Jackson. If you do the mixing and matching from Utah to kind of imagine what Kokushka will do and who will fill those roles. I've, I still think that him doing something like what Joe Ingles did as like a second or third playmaker combined with just, you know, smart off ball movement and, using his size and hopefully he develops a little bit more gravity as a shooter. And that, that works out better for him. He's not really Ingles at all until he's a anything close to him as a shooter. But I think as far as like the role of being that kind of second, third playmaker, somebody who can get the ball in his hands with the defense already scrambling and do something with it. I think that excites me because he's going to be on the floor this year, a lot more with guys that are better than him. He, ne- he rarely had that, especially when he started playing big minutes at the end of the year. He was often one of the better players on the floor. This year, he'll be like the fourth or fifth guy, almost no matter who else he's playing with. Yeah, I'm, I just look at Joe Engel's stats while you're talking there. And just, just based off the box score, take out his three-point percentage of 44%, which is absolutely absurd. But 
11 and a half points, 4.2 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 1.1 steals. If you take out the shooting, like I mentioned there, it does seem like a, a line Josh Jackson could do maybe a little bit less than the assist number there, maybe around four, three and a half assists. But I think you're around the money there as far as being a secondary playmaker. And I think if you watch a lot of Kansas Josh Jackson and what my, Ryan McDonough and Co. really fell in love with was his ability to be like a Swiss Army knife and be a, a playmaker and a primary defender. Yeah, that's crazy that Ingles had 4.8 assists. When you were saying that, I went in because I was like, he must be doing like the per 36 numbers because – that's crazy. And then, no, that's actually his per game. Per 36, he had five and a half assists. I, I knew he was used that way, but I would never have guessed he had that many like raw assists per game. If Jackson could approach something like that, which is crazy too, because it, it's pretty similar. Like Utah had Rubio and Mitchell, who were both decent assist guys for their position, and, and, and then Ingles on top of that. I think that'll be pretty similar where Booker and, you know, hopefully point guard. X are guys that are the primary playmakers, but if Jackson can still have that much of an impact, that would be, yeah, that would be awesome. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm setting the bar too high because Ingles is a, you know, $16 million a year player, a really, really valuable player, partially because of his shooting, but also for all that other stuff. So maybe that's not quite what he'll do, but I think role from a role standpoint, I think it'll be pretty similar, or at least I hope so. What do you think about this guy? Obviously he has a lot more acclaim than him. I think he might have been undrafted, maybe like a late second round pick. But I know you watched a lot of Utah as well. But what about him filling like a Royce O'Neal kind of role? Yeah. Yeah, pretty similar. I mean, I think Ingles does similar things. Um, again, O'Neal's like a more willing and able shooter than Jackson. That's part of what made Utah so scary is pretty much everybody on their team outside of the bigs were, were good shooters. Like outside of Favors and Gobert, pretty much everybody can shoot. And Jackson can't. At least we haven't seen it yet. But um, I think, you know, maybe it's not as easy as just going like, who did this on the Jazz? Who will do this on the Suns? But I think it is a pretty good indicator of at least trying to imagine what roles different guys will have. And Jackson doing that like big wing on offense role that guys like O'Neal, Crowder and Ingles did last year for the Jazz is super exciting. Yeah, I really think expanding Josh Jackson's playmaking role is going to be huge for his development this year. I think Igor is the perfect guy to have that happen for. So I'm really excited to see Ewer's offense from what I saw in Flagstaff. His system looks amazing, and I think it's going to be really fun to watch from a, a media and a fan point of view. But as far as tomorrow, Brendan, I know both me and you will be at the open practice, I believe. So what should listeners expect? Because I know I think we might have a quick episode tomorrow after that. Yeah, I think we probably will. I don't know if we'll, we haven't decided if we're going to release it tomorrow and skip Monday or do six episodes this week or what we're going to do. But uh, hopefully we'll see some of you guys. I mean, if you are there and you hear this before then come say hi. But other than that, I mean, I hope, I think it's a cooler thing than trying to get people to come up North to watch the scrimmages. I think this is a better idea on the sun's part. So I hope it goes well and they keep doing it in the future. Cause I think it's a better way to kind of let people in and actually get fans to come out. Cause it's like, okay, you get all the people from Northern Arizona to come. There's, all these people in Phoenix who aren't going to drive two and a half hours for a scrimmage. So I think this is better. And I hope it, I hope it's as fun as I'm imagining. I a hundred percent agree there, Brent. I really think this is also a good gauge as far as the first sneak peek. I know it's free, but I wonder how many fans will be there tomorrow. If there's, there could be a lot of fans there to be honest. Cause there's, I think this is by far the most excitement that's been around the Phoenix sun since the seventh or last days, especially since they got Devin Booker on his extension. They also drafted the guy from two hours down South. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it'll be, I hope it's fun. I hope it's loud and a good, 
impression of what's to come and carry that momentum on into Monday. And we'll see if, if people are coming to the preseason games, that'll be a good sign. Oh, for sure. And that's what's crazy to say, Burn. I guess, to end today's episode. We are, this is our last episode, possibly maybe the second last episode before we are back to Suns basketball. So all of a sudden the offseason is gone. We are back to Suns basketball. So we're going to be analyzing some preseason basketball, some regular season basketball here soon. So appreciate you guys listening on today's episode. And for all the mailbag questions, we're going to be doing that more often throughout the season. But we'll be back with you guys Saturday or Monday for our next episode.